Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast with me, Toby Haydock. Do not adjust your set. We're doing things slightly differently. My special guest, Richard Marson, writer, editor, producer, has asked to speak to me directly about his choices for his nominated story. So, we know it's Terror of the Autons. We know it's episode three. But currently, that's all we know. We're going to watch the episode and then hook up with Richard afterwards. And he's going to talk us through his choice and his ideas and his memories of when this story first went out. But for now... On with the show. Welcome back. It's episode three of Terror of the Autons. So I would like you, if you would, to press play in three, two, one, now. I'm watching the BBC DVD, so I'm quite enjoying watching this in colour. As I I have seen it before in colour, but... um, I think, as I say, I was used to it in black and white. I got, I, I then had a very dodge, ropey video quite late on, I think, um, of it in colour that I'm not sure I really watched that much. And then obviously got the DVD. And that was the beautiful thing about the DVDs is that they actually opened up a lot of stories that you want to previously seen. And then just that little sort of nudge up in quality suddenly of picture suddenly can, can, can make things seem more enjoyable. Certainly a few of the Hartnells, I know I... I uh, I got a greater appreciation of because I could sort of see them, which helps. Um, it's a, it's amazing considering that no actual proper color print of this exists. How they've uh, how they've managed to get the the off air color and meld it with the film print. I think it looks very very good. Um, and this I remember this. Being the sort of thing I wanted more of, because this was this was quite a mythical uh, uh, aspect of uh, this story as well. Was that there was the famous story of of Terry Walsh falling down the hill, which which we will see, and you get the handguns, which I love. Um, the idea that the Autons had. I remember I wrote some sort of fan fiction where. Um, an action on Auton would reveal itself not by having its hand drop like that, but by actually blowing its own sort of hand uh, off, uh, you know, the first time it revealed itself to be a bad guy. Actually, the idea of it shooting its own fingers to bits to kill you the first time. Um, But it's a great, it's a, again, anything that takes something ordinary, like a hand, and turns it into, oh my God, a lethal weapon, a hidden death, um, is a is a is a fantastic idea and yeah we're in a quarry um quarries look great um they're they're great for action sequences they look good uh you can control what you're up to oh and there's a there's a unit soldier there yes i think he's not long for this world he's he's like the equivalent of a red shirt in in star trek um we never see the brigadier having to write those letters do we to go uh, I'm afraid it's like it was always good in spooks, wasn't it? When somebody died and they had to have a sort of oh, there we go. Oh, look at that. That's great. Uh, boom. Uh, look at that. That's great. That's what unit stories are all about. It's terribly bloodthirsty, isn't it? Um, but yeah, in spooks, they'd always have this sort of the funerals or whatever, saying, so, so, you know, 
Martin worked in uh, the, the civil service, you know, and their parents would never know that actually they'd been real heroes. I'm sure with unit soldiers it was the same. It's like, I'm afraid he died in a training exercise. Uh, oh, but, the, but, he's, but there isn't anything of him because he's been disintegrated. I'm sure the Autons disintegrated people in Spearhead from Space, didn't they? But I, I like the sort of puffs. That's a brilliant... So that's a great stunt, which I know is not all of it's entirely deliberate. And the fact that he gets up again straight away and starts climbing back is terrific. I love that. I like this whole sequence. Um, yeah, because, you know, a monster being indestructible is a great thing. Um, a monster that is disguised as a, as a policeman is a great thing. Uh, this is all very Doctor Who. And you can, yeah, so more of that. But I think I, I think I wanted more of that. Uh, so I'm very happy so far um, uh, about that sequence um, and its execution. Because Terry Walsh wasn't supposed to, I believe, fall, fall that far. Um, or, or I think he was, he was hit, he was hit by the car when he shouldn't have been. Um uh, and 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 was sort of sent flying over, but the cameras were still rolling. So that's the that was the 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 the, the story that abounded at the time. It was one of the it was one of the early Doctor Who anecdotes. There were a few like that where um, you know they're like part of the furniture because those were the stories that were told about particular stories. And yeah, Terror of the Autons, questions in the House of Lords, and Terry Walsh getting accidentally knocked all the way down the hill. Um, but it's the fact that he gets up and starts walking back. And I do like the, the doctor is a bit of a hypocrite, but I do I do quite like the fact he hasn't got any. T he's got an absolutely no time for for chatting about the plan. <laughs> it's just like yes, it's obvious. Um, and I I have to say I have a lot of sympathy. He's the doctor's the sort of guy that would get the thing the flat pack from IKEA and go. I'm not looking at the bit of paper that says how to do it. I'm I know how to do it. And then would be furious three hours later. <laughs> uh, and I do I like that I like the dynamic between the brigadier and the doctor. I know I know in a grown up program. There would be less of a twinkle, but it is it is a program that we fall in love with as kids. A certain sort of coziness is is nice, and I love the fact that we know and love the brigadier and Nicholas Courtney. When I was younger, the having a military figure like the brigadier was so tough, and and, and he seemed so right, and uh, and I th and I think actually a lot of the sort of twinkly stuff didn't quite register as much because they were all grown ups, um, and 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 seemed so sort of grown up and official. Um, so actually, it didn't undermine it at all. Uh, and it's only as you as a, as you get a bit older and you and you realise there's a a, a a sort of rapport there. <laughs> and and these two work together so brilliantly. It is partially because Pertwee works quite well when he's being really patronising, but but she takes it and she's she's. I don't think she's diminished by it because oh, and he's because she she is capable in her own way and she sort of lets it sort of wash over her a little bit he is a bit of a gitter at times when it and it, and it is sometimes unpleasant 
but but I think as a general as a general thing their dynamic is 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 rather delightful and it suits both characters quite well uh and this is a very very John Pertwee is Doctor Who moment <laughs> walking out slightly furious <laughs> I love the fact that he kicked it he just kicked the TARDIS door <laughs> and I like this oh, that is terrifying I, I'm a I'm a kicker of inanimate objects and it's the worst thing you can do especially because I'm a trodden on I'm, I'm a treader on rakes I've done it more often than I'd like to think but then of course you've got this yeah oh the doctor's amused by the fact he's just stranded a merciless alien psychopath uh, on the planet beautiful now daffodils i didn't realize this were 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 given away with 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 plastic uh with plastic with uh, washing powder so this was a thing plastic daffodils and of course when when a thing is a new thing you go what, what more could you want a, a a a daffodil that will never die i've got 200 bulbs in the in the corridor that need to be planted and they will die unless i plant them so I, sh I should really be doing that instead of doing a Doctor Who podcast. This is these these are great. Um, I think the uh, again I wasn't wild about them when I was younger, but now I I really like them because because I get the the contrast between what they represent the oversized, over smiley, gaudily coloured. They're like they're sort of like male malevolent yellow coats, aren't they? It's sort of like uh Heidi high with botox um and what lies beneath you know the blank faced uh automatons the 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 um you know blank faced lacking in individuality lacking in features uh cold um and I, and I think that's a that's a that's a another great understanding from Robert Holmes of what Doctor Who as well have these gaudy uh, um, uh, flower vendors uh, uh, d d you know in, in, in sunshine yellow uh, that actually are you know are the, the murderers he's the, the, the alien killers he's for somebody that, that worried about his abilities as a dramatic actor John Pert was very good at being testy and furious and and no nonsense you know he's not he was he was known as a comic and a and a voice man a comedy voice man and he's uh i i you know he's got a dramatic urgency about him that fits him like a glove i hope he wasn't and i know he i believe he could be quite quite difficult but i and that was probably bred from his insecurity which is a shame i don't like the idea that he's insecure because he shouldn't be because he's very good but it's it's easy to underestimate sometimes how even the most confident dashing elegant looking performer can be a bag of nerves so remember that when you tweet somebody who you think's got it made uh, and and say something mean to them um they might be dying inside brown rose dermot tui uh brown rose of course is a joke because the name brown rose sounds a bit like brown nose because he is a he is a sort of civil servanty type that uh, that this this era has great disdain for which i think is a great british tradition of uh, being run up by the civil service and not approving of them uh 
uh, and and this is the doctor isn't it um uh uh using that sort of uh unpleasant hierarchy um to his advantage and and this this can be seen as as reflecting badly on the third doctor and i think i have read it like that uh, of the doctor being this sort of clubbable guy who who uses his his influence to to push around a, a a junior civil servant but but i think brownrose is supposed to be a bit of a burke and the doctor's using you know the weapons of the establishments against the establishment itself even if that weapon is a sort of bit of name dropping and, and pushing about uh, uh pushing about a pen pusher um and i was yes <laughs> um but yeah brown nose is a is is a is a good joke um he gets top billing this episode beats mike knocks michael wisher down the credits uh poor old mrs farrell um you're not going to be able to make yourself a cup of tea love your kitchen's made a cso uh, <laughs> but this is you know this is an ordinary family setup this is the sort of world that uh, the Pertwee era look to sort of ruffle the feathers of and upset. Um, but, yeah, is the Doctor, is the third Doctor an establishment figure? He sort of has his cake and eats it, really. He certainly looks fantastic, doesn't he, in his frilly shirt and his cape. If you can wear a frilly shirt and a cape and get away with it, I think Larry Turner does say that in that Thirty Years in the Tardis documentary, doesn't she? And and it's actually quite right that not many people can get away with with that 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 sort of outfit. But Pertwee is so incredible looking. Uh, now Norman Stanley here playing the telephone operator, who's checked out by Mike Yates, um, uh, was cast quite late because this was going to be Hayden Jones who is also the voice of the Autons and who also the voice of Joe Grundy in the Archers uh, for a bit uh, until he died and was taken over by Edward Kelsey also uh, a servant to Doctor Who but Hayden Jones got cast in The Mind of Evil as Lenny Vosper a better part than this one of the the, the inmates of the prison and thugs uh, and so you know even though Michael Wisher had been in it only a couple of stories ago, there was a season break. So instead, Norman Stanley uh, is cast quite late as the telephone operator. And it's his last job. He, he, he was dead a couple of years later. Died in 73. This is 71. So uh, uh, we don't know. I don't know much about Norman Stanley at all, apart from that. Uh, cast quite late in the day and uh, was dead before I was born. Bless him. Um but is the second person to play the master because he is the telephone engineer is the master um uh, showing that the master's art of disguise is pretty phenomenal and takes in a, a body shape as well as um you know, excellently fitting latex mask until the moment it has to be taken off then it then it comes off like a doddle John away I like the way she says taken John away she just it just falters slightly. Um, oh, poor old Mrs. Farrell. Barbara Leake. Um, it is pretty grotesque, isn't it? I like the fact that Doctors has a sort of lab 
Um, in a castle. Unit H. Unit HQ is never. A, is it ever a castle again? I don't know. Um, uh, so yeah, the the. The, the series of inventive deaths shows a gleeful, a gleefully sort of morbid imagination from Robert Holmes, who, uh, lest we forget, is only four stories in. He's sort of found his feet with the Crotons and the Space Pirates, neither of which you would call typical Robert Holmes. Spearhead from Space is slightly different because it's all made on film, so it's, it's difficult to account for... It's something of an anomaly. It's something of a one-off uh, uh, Spearhead just because of the way that it looks and, and what it represents, and it's setting up a new doctor. Um, but but this is this is I think the first for which it must be celebrated, the first flourishing of the sort of Robert Holmes successfully marrying his sense of humour. I think because the, the the space pirates is funny ish, and it certainly has funny in, intent in places with Milo Clancy, but where his sense of humour combines with his storytelling and he goes well why don't i have fun with the way that i kill people why don't i create a character like mcdermott just to kill him off okay i've got a killer chair no that's not very efficient so then we'll have uh a killer doll oh no that's not efficient either then we'll have a killer telephone and 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 you can tell he's having a great time um so all of those ideas, I think, are, 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 are pretty fantastic. Uh, no, they haven't got a sliding connection for whatever it is. Molecular analyzer in stock. <laughs> and the brigadier very much takes it in his stride. Um, the, their relationship is is already pretty well established which is very nice um but he's been tetchy with both yates and benton uh, in this story oh yes oh so yates and joe are going to uh make coco in the doctor's lab uh which is uh <laughs> yeah no, actually, I like that Auton mask. It's yes, it works. Works slightly better from a distance, actually. Uh, I'm the master. There we go. That works. That's fine. I I I always think that uh, he goes a, the long way about making a cup of cocoa because he uses a Bunsen burner and an uncovered beaker full of water. You want to cover that to make it boil, or just use a kettle. Um, but I suppose I am in a house with all mod cons in 2020, and uh, that perhaps it was perfectly normal to boil water on top of a Bunsen burner. They are in a lab. Um, um, so, oh, here they are in the, the Doctor and the Breeder on location in the factory, which... Uh, Oh, is this where Joe's on the phone to Mr. Campbell, the Dolly Scotsman, uh, one of the one of the great unseen characters in Doctor Who? Uh, you go, oh, I'll sort that wee lassie out with a whatever it is. She's you're a Dolly Scotsman, Mr. Campbell, <laughs> and she is. You would you'd do anything for her? She is so charming. Um, uh, jo yeah, Joe is. Joe is 
lovely and she has all the 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 qualities for a doctor who companion actually um she you know she's 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 capable but she's also scatty and prone to get in trouble <laughs> that's a very doctor who image a soldier with t- t- two mugs thing of cocoa the gun in his hand shooting a doll to bits yeah okay i'll take that i'll take that that's doctor who <laughs> uh and oh and oh, is this going to be my favorite bit of the episode i do like this bit um uh coming up when uh I, I, yeah i would like more autons i think i do like the autons uh and we, st- we still haven't seen an awful lot of them have we but i suppose i suppose not, there's not an awful lot they can do i mean they at least they talk in it they don't talk in spirit are they actually better when they don't talk i don't know they become perhaps a bit generic monstery when they're just chatting away far are we are going away um Whereas actually, when they're they're sort of silent and deadly at hiding in a safe, <laughs> are you just obviously it's not you? Yeah, you just you just wait in the safe. Uh, if anybody opens it, just shoot them. Uh, <laughs> especially if it's <laughs> if it's a soldier in Wurzel Gummidge. I know he hasn't been Wurzel Gummidge yet. Um, Oh, so yes, okay. That's a nice bit of detective work uh, to, to to get us to the next part of the story. Um, although you you would want your villains to cover their tracks a bit, I think, in this day and age. Uh, but it's it's yeah, we it, it does give us the opportunity for a bit of uh, Holmes and Watsoning with the Doctor and this rather glorious moment where the Doctor opens a safe and there's an Auton in it. <laughs> Love that. That's just great. Uh, <laughs> yes, they are, Doctor. Remarkably persistent. Uh, and we're straight back to Unit HQ. That's very economic storytelling. Uh, oh, yeah, because there's, um, there's cuts to this episode. Because Bill McGurk... I, I always thought Bill McGurk was the Auton policeman in the opening scenes on location, but he's not. Because uh, he's credited as fetch some cocoa and he says fetch a tin of co- t- fetch a tin of what um you were making cocoa in my lab um but uh, bill mcgurk who's in enemy of the world barry let's uses a lot of his actors a lot which is very loyal um and, and, unless you're not in one of his productions then you go it's an awful close shop that i can't get into that is the that is the, the truth of an actor's career. If you're in the shop, it's a lovely boutique that serves all the right people. If you're not in the shop, it's a bad shop that's locked and everyone in it's a git. Um, but Bill McGurk, sadly, got into the shop, but uh, uh, then I can't... But everything he wanted to buy wasn't available. Bill McGurk filmed some scenes as a policeman um, who gets killed, who, who goes into the coach, has a bit of a chat with Farrell and the Autons and, and, and gets killed. Uh, and all of his scenes end up on the cutting room floor. So he's still credited, like Dave Carter in episode one of The Android Invasion. Dave Carter, we saw in episode one of this. He's in episode one of The Android Invasion and he's cut, uh, but still gets a credit. There are a few others uh, like that. I think Dean Hollingsworth is the bus conductor in one of the episodes of Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Anyway, again, it's me getting bothered about credits again. Not bothered. It's just uh, they're people who are credited in an episode they are not in, which is what happens with Bill McGurk on this episode. 
Why do I care? Because I'm sure you don't. I can only apologise. I should have been going, look at that brilliant bit with the murderous telephone cable of death. And instead I'm going, ah, uh, well, well, actually these closing credits have this rather... So, um, policeman Bill McGurk, uh, he was sometimes, I think on Enemy of the World, he's credited as William McGurk. He, uh, he, uh, uh, he did some stuff at the RSC as well. Anyway... Listen, you want me to choose something that I have... Sorry, I'm eating a bar. Um, I've got to keep my strength up. Otherwise, how will I remember facts that nobody wants to hear? Um, so, I have to choose for Richard Marson. For those who've forgotten or haven't listened to episodes one and two. If, if, in which case, what are you doing? Well, I wanted to tune in to see if you'd uh, talk about why Bill McGurk is credited. <laughs> um, I'm going to choose the the whole the scene in the quarry, um, just because it was my standout moment of the whole story when I was younger, and it seemed to have everything: action, gunfire, a stunt, good location. Um, and and as as I say, for a story that disappointed me a bit when I was a kid, that was sort of everything that I wanted the story to be. So, the scene in the quarry with the Auton policeman, including that wonderful stunt, even though some of it was a mistake <laughs> from uh, from the mighty Terry Walsh. Uh, so I'm going to pop to the future to see what Richard Marson has to say and uh, to be honest with him about what I've chosen and see if we have chosen the same thing. I'm going to make a prediction. I wonder if he's going to choose the thing I nearly chose, which is the, you know, the, the sort of garish daffodil men um, look of the Autons that hides, you know, such blank evil beneath. Um, I, I might hold that in, in reserve for episode four. Who knows? Because uh, I've gone for the, the quarry scene, but I wonder if Richard will choose that. Um, anyway, let's go and see what he says. Um, well, into uh, episode three. Well, in fact, before we do that, let's do another question. You, you say you met all these amazing people when you were working for Doctor Who magazine. Um, who made the biggest impression on you as a young as a young man interviewing your heroes and the people that made your show? Well, I'll cheat by giving you a, a kind of double answer. So one would be Barry Letts, because I, I wasn't, I was really amazed at the care he took. So if you did stuff, if you did an interview with him, I did a whole John Pertwee winter special. And he was almost like the unpaid, unsung advisor. He would phone me up, he would send me notes, he read all the text. You know, I was 18 or something and very green in a lot of ways. And I'm protected from that by not knowing how green I was. I just thought this is how things were and that I could troll off to television centre or, or go to wherever and do these things and type it up and it would all be fine. Um, but I think he very sensitively would say, well, how about this? Or that's not quite right. And, and do it in a way that really um, empowered you. So I look back and I think that's what made him a special person. And that's what I think when you hear actors who can sometimes get a bit too lyrical, perhaps, that's what they owe to him because he was a very enabling person. Um, and I think he did that with someone. I was just a peripheral 
you know, a fan who who he didn't need to take anything like that bother with, but he did, and that has actually a, a memory that's sort of grown as time has gone on, gone on, and I've become obviously an old. Um, uh, I think he said an old pro it has a double <laughs> meaning. It, and I sometimes think that it's made me think how important it is to to treat everybody that you deal with um, in a way that is is compassionate, empathetic, and all the rest of it, without losing sight of what what they're there to do. You know, so he, as I say, he he wasn't just buttering me up or making me feel good. He was trying to get me to improve what I was doing so that presumably the text reflected uh, the Pertwee era more accurately and, and, all, and I didn't make howlers that he would be unhappy with. So it was a kind of win-win. The other person was John Nathan Turner because, you know, John, who was um, an extraordinary character in so many ways and, and could be so entertaining, he could be so lovely and so funny and friendly, but he could also be terrifying and you would never know which John you'd get. So he would phone me up, or rather his secretary would phone up the payphone in the college where I lived because that's how sophisticated it was. And I was usually asleep because I was a student doing plays all the time. So I was usually in bed at kind of half past nine, ten o'clock in the morning and someone bang on my door and say, BBC's on the phone. And so I'd kind of drag, drag myself round to where the payphone was. And it would be Sarah Lee, John's secretary, who'd be quite pissed off. And now, you know, I used to think it was unreasonable. Now I think, of course she was pissed off because I was, you know, keeping her waiting. And she was probably thinking, this isn't high on my list of priorities, phoning through the news for Gallifrey Guardian. But she, would, she wouldn't do the actual content. She'd just be, he was very into the kind of image of being a producer, so it'd be like, oh, I've got John for you. So when I was there, he, she'd then put me through to John and then there'd be a pause and they'd be, hi, how are you? And he'd always draw out me, hi, how are you? Like kind of going off the end of a ski slope. And, um, you know, and then you'd work out whether you got good John or bad John. And if you got good John, it would be lovely conversation. He'd be really helpful. And he'd say, how about this or how about... But if you pissed him off or he was in a bad mood, you'd be... you would. <laughs> well, he wouldn't mince his words. And um, I remember I was he knew that he would get the paginations like the plans for what we were working on for three months ahead and he saw this article that we were going to do about fantasy males and fantasy females and and he said to me he said i'm not sure about this he said what do, what exactly does it involve and so i chatted through what it was you know waffling away because i hadn't started thinking about it yet it was it was a waffle article and then he said well just keep it clean okay and i just thought it was so funny the idea that somehow i was going to write you know kind of jackie collins meets meets doctor who for, for the magazine but you know he so he was a really vivid vivid person and i i part of the reason i was drawn to his story years later was what happened to him um became almost like a metaphor for how the bbc and the industry changed and we had certain similarities because i obviously hit, hit a cropper with blue peter towards the end of that time and i felt a lot of empathy for what he went through and in and in fact it i think killed him and i and you know it didn't kill me but but you know i think he had a he had a whole lot of kind of toxic things that went on and he was ter terrifically brave um and never gave up and he had that kind of show business you know the shows go on spirit absolutely in his dna so it, it was those two men i think Fantastic. That's really interesting insight. Thank you. So, uh, episode three. What have you chosen for episode three, please, Richard? Uh, 
Well, for me, the set piece that kicks episode three off, the first sequences, which involve action by Havoc, I mean, what thrilling words. I don't need to convince you, Toby, as we know you have form in this, in this area. But, you know, for a little boy, action by Havoc. And, and actually, what action it is. I mean, I, I edge of the seat, behind the seat, doesn't cover it. I found the opening of this. And I still feel it again. There's the ability to trigger it again. The whole of the sequence where the, the, the end of the cliffhanger of the previous episode is that... <laughs> You know, they're being driven by Auton policemen. And then the beginning of this next episode is this whole thing in a quarry. Well, of course, it's a quarry um, where the doctor and Joe have to kind of hide from the Auton policeman. And then the brigadier turns up and rescues them. And I just it was so thrilling to me that and the famous stunt, which wasn't meant to be where um, you'll be able to tell me which of them is Stuart Fell or Alan Chance or one of those guys. It's Terry, it's Terry um, Walsh. It's Terry Walsh. Well, there you go. Terry Walsh, who was, I think, the main man, really. Um, does this incredible fall which wasn't meant to happen and then gets up and i mean and that was just a brilliant brilliant bit of of, of the story so for me it's that it, it was so edge edge of the seat stuff well this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship because i've chosen the scene in the quarry uh for, yeah! for the same yes. pretty much i yeah i couldn't choose a single bit of it because like you it to me encapsulated everything an, an extra gets killed i always that's always exciting uh a, a stunt ha a stunt happens there's a quarry the, uh, the, the gun the, the guns in the hands all of that all coming together in a bit that i found terribly exciting so we're in accord there richard episode three yeah I just say this is an example you know where a little or a lot of knowledge is a dangerous thing I, when i rewatch doctor who now i make a kind of mental contract with myself to switch off all the stuff i know about the making of the show because otherwise for me now i find that it's so distracting and so gets in the way so as we're talking about that scene i'm remembering nick courtney talking about how he hated guns and shooting guns and was scared of them and he said you can see whenever i have to shoot fire do that i'm flinching slightly and 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 so things like that would completely ruin my enjoyment and i have to kind of not think of or katie's first trip is in fact caught on camera. I think you can see her stumble, um, and she was terrified she'd lose the job because she, you know, she'd hurt her ankle. But but all of that stuff is sort of you don't really want that getting in the way. You want to reconnect with how you felt when you were watching these shows, just as a viewer and a fan, and just loving how the whole chemistry of it comes together. So that was Richard and me in the future. I've got no idea what we have said or will say. Uh, you know, but we're back to me now, just uh, in order for me to say thank you for watching or listening to me bang on about episode three of Terror of the Autons. We will bring the story to a conclusion in the next episode. Uh, but in the meantime... Um, uh, just you know when the telephone ring you couldn't do a telephone cable of death now it would have to be a mobile phone ringtone of death or something like that uh anyway careful who you answer the phone to until next time goodbye thank you ever so much for listening to happy times and places with me toby haydock and my special guest richard marson 
He's on Twitter, at Richard Marson 2 That's the number two. It's my pleasure to shout out to this episode's featured patrons, who are Michael Dennis, Tim Dickinson, Pete Dylan Trenchard, Paul Dykes, Andrew East, David Gillespie, Charles Gears, Simon Gerrier, Paul J. Guest, Steve Hatcher, Duncan Harvey, Simon Hodges, Sam Hollingsworth, Matthew Houliston, Darren Howard, Ruben Herfindahl, Luke Atkins, Peter Adamson, Will Brooks, Rick Byatt, Paul Carrington, and Robert Jewell. The music for this podcast was specially composed by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. If you would like to hear your name on this podcast or simply would like to get some exclusive and early releases, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. There are other bonuses too, including a badge. If not, you can do a one-off payment at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock, or you can support me simply by leaving positive reviews and star ratings everywhere you possibly can. And uh, do follow my YouTube channel, Toby Haydock, where there is a video version of this if you want to see what state my hair's in or whether I have a moustache or not. And if you're twiddling your thumbs on Tuesday night, I do a live comedy show every week from Excess Malarkey, my nearly 25-year-old comedy club that always has four tip-top comedian special guests uh, and lots of fun, and it's absolutely free, and that's on twitch.tv forward slash Malarkey. The show stays up for two weeks as well, and there's an archive of clips and things, so check that out. (laughs) 